Good morning, church. My name is Matt Jaxtis, and I am part of the singles ministry here in the Inland Empire Church of Christ. And it is an absolute pleasure and honor to be able to come before you this morning virtually and preach a sermon. It's wonderful to be here. It is such a crazy time, and I miss being able to fellowship with, with each and every one of you. It has been over seven months since we've met in person, and I yearn for those days, but I am also so grateful that we have so many different ways to stay in touch and stay in contact and stay connected as a fellowship. And that is super encouraging, even in the midst of everything going on in the world. And literally every single sermon that we preach over the next, you know, over the past seven months could be about this idea of man, the world's crazy, isn't it? Right. And I didn't want to fall into that trap of commenting on that. Yet at the same time, I think it's so important that we acknowledge where we are at. Because I'm going to be honest, church, I felt overwhelmed. I have felt tired, frustrated, run down, and at times ready to throw in the towel. It's tough. Our lives have been altered so much. Some of us very, very significantly. Some of us have lost jobs or savings. Some of us are stressed, overwhelmed. Some of us have lost family members or faced illness ourselves. Others of us, not much has changed. We haven't had to sacrifice too much. But wherever we're at, our lives have shifted. This past seven months have, have given me a lot of time to reflect. Especially during the early times of quarantine, I had the opportunity to really try to connect with God. I didn't always do a great job of that. Sometimes I got lazy, which I'll talk about in a little bit. But this time has been a blessing of sorts to be able to connect and try to realize what is truly important. And that gets me to the overall idea and title of our sermon this morning. This lesson is titled, One Nation Under God. And we're continuing the series that we started four weeks ago when Scott preached. And we're going to continue to dive into this idea of allegiance. Who are we allegiant to? Where do we find our identity, our kingdom identity as Christians? And it's so important for us to reflect on this, especially during this time. Because right now, our country is divided. You may or may not have heard, but there's an election going on, and it's created a lot of division and strife. There's a chasm that is forming between right and left. Joe Biden supporters look down on Trump supporters. Trump supporters look down on Joe Biden supporters. There is a lot of division in the world, made even worse by social media, by politics, by all the just the, the fast-paced movement of information in our world. And I've fallen into that, and it's been a struggle. It's been a crazy time. Yet, we need to figure out where our true allegiance lies. Where do we find our identity? Where do we find our worth in this world? And let me tell you, spoiler alert for the entire lesson, it's not in anything in this world. It's in Christ. It's in God alone. And so as we dive into this lesson, as we talk about one nation under God, we are going to be talking about kind of a challenging topic, something that I was both excited and also kind of terrified to talk about, 
because we're going to be talking about idolatry. And we're going to look at idolatry from just kind of that idea and that perspective, especially in today's world. But a big part of our idolatry often comes back to nationalism in our country. And so we're going to dive into that. We're going to look at what God says about that. And we're going to be looking at a few different stories of times in which people have built idols or put idols ahead of their relationship with God. So please, if you'll join me in a word of prayer, and we'll go ahead and dive into this lesson. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the fact that we can stay connected, that we can stay together and united, even in the midst of this pandemic, when people are wanting to stay at home or maybe only meet in parks, whatever it may be, Lord. It is amazing to be able to still connect with my brothers and sisters, not just in the Inland Empire, but around the world virtually. That's a pretty amazing thing, and I'm grateful for that. Lord, please continue to help us grow in our, our identity. Help us move towards you constantly, Lord. Help us be humble and be willing to listen to what you have to say. Speak through me. Let my words be silenced and, and let your words ring true and just continue to guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we dive into this lesson, One Nation Under God, I wanted to start in a place that God was calling me to start and was really neat because it matches what Scott talked about last week. It continues the story of the Israelites as they escape out of Egypt. See, the Israelites got to see God's power. They got to see the power of God as he released them from slavery to the Egyptians. They they got to see the plagues and God's wrath and anger. They got to see God separate the Red Sea as they were running away from the Egyptian army and charioteers and then see the Red Sea plunge back into this army and destroy them and keep the Israelites safe. They got to see manna fall from heaven. God provided as they wandered through the desert for way too long. God was constantly there. Their faith should have been amazing. Their faith should have been awesome. Yet, it wasn't. And so it reminded me of a passage in Exodus 32, and our first point today is fading faith. Because so often our faith can be shattered or interrupted by little tiny things. So, in Exodus 32... Starting in verse 1. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives and sons and daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they had handed him and made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. They said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterwards they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. The last time I gave this, uh, I talked about this passage was actually probably for your kids in Kids Kingdom uh, a year and a half, two years ago. This is a popular passage to talk about. 
in Sunday school, right? And it's one of those passages where oftentimes I think, man, these Israelites are so dumb. Why did they forget about God? He did amazing things. Yet I can do the same thing. See, over the past seven months, with the, the, the shutdowns and the lockdowns and quarantine and just the world changing in overwhelming ways, the racial division and the racism that we saw over the summer, the protests and the cries for equality, the, the violence and the chaos, all of that can often cause me to think, did, did God take a vacation? Did he decide, well, been working hard for, you know, a really long time now. I'm going to take 2020 off, right? It, it feels like that. I've had times where I have questioned, God, are you there? Do you care? Do you see what's going on? Can you, you, you're powerful. Fix this, right? Yet I have the same exact attitude the Israelites have here. The Israelites, Moses is gone. Their leader was gone for just a little bit of time. He was up on a mountain, right? And the Israelites are like, hey, we need a, we need a statue. We need an idol. We need to see something to worship it. Even though they had seen God do amazing things, they still turned to idols. And we might not turn to an idol made of gold shaped like a calf, but we turn to so many different idols. It's so easy right now to turn to the idol of, you know, maybe getting too much rest of being slothful, right? Because if you're in quarantine, it's easy to not do anything. I struggled with that when we first started quarantine. I watched so much Netflix. It was good to unwind because it was a busy school year up until that point. But I watched Tiger King in like two days, right? I binged through that. And remember Tiger King at the start of quarantine? It's been a long time, guys. It feels like five years ago now. But I, I turned to being, you know, to, to, I turned to no longer putting forth effort and work. I just stopped. I paused. Some of us might have done the same thing. Others of us during this time period, you rushed out to the markets to grab toilet paper and hand sanitizer and paper towels and chaos ensued because we were looking for security in physical things. Some of us looked for security emotionally. Some of us turned to addictions, turned to lust. Some of us turned to relationships that if I feel insecure, if I feel threatened by the world around me, maybe I can at least put my trust in a person. Some of us turn to finances. I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to acquire wealth. I'm going to accumulate everything. Maybe I won't give as much to God, or maybe I'll keep giving a lot to God, but my focus is no longer on my family or my ministry or teaching people about God. It's on acquiring wealth because who knows what's coming next. Some of us have put our faith in social media or in politics. One politician or the other is going to save us and bring us out of this time, right? We can get so caught up and idolize the government, idolize politicians or a political party. We can do the same with our country, right? America is amazing. It's awesome. But we can idolize it to the point in which it interrupts our relationship with God. See, we have a tendency to search for idols when things are not clear, when things are chaotic and scary. Do we turn to God 
during these times, or do we turn to idols? And it's so important for us to have people in our lives who will call us out. Aaron should have called out the Israelites. He even made excuses when Moses confronted him later. He's like, I don't know, we just put some gold in a calf popped out, right? Even though earlier it says that he shaped it. And, and so he very much makes excuses. He's like, I don't know what happened. It just happened, right? And we need people to call us higher. We need to call people higher as Christians, as disciples, we are told to put God first. Yet this reminded me of another story in 2 Kings, verse 16. And that's where we are going to go next and start point number two, which is calling higher or creating complacency. So we have this situation where um, King Ahaz goes um, to another area, which is rare for a king. Normally they wouldn't leave the kingdom, but he went to another kingdom and he saw this really, really cool altar. So let's go ahead and dive in. We're in 2 Kings 16, starting in verse 10. Then King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Kilglath Pilsir, king of Assyria, and he saw an altar in Damascus and sent to Uriah, the priest, a sketch of the altar with detailed plans for its construction. So Uriah, the priest, built an altar in accordance with the plans that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus and finished it before King Ahaz returned. When the king came back from Damascus and saw the altar, he approached it and presented offerings on it. He presented his burnt offering and grain offering, poured out his drink offering, and sprinkled the blood of his fellowship offerings on the altar. The bronze altar that stood before the Lord, he brought from the front of the temple, from between the new altar and the, and the temple of the Lord, and put it on the north side of the new altar. King Ahaz then gave these orders to Uriah the priest. On the new altar, offer in the morning burnt offering and then the evening grain offering. The king's burnt offering and the grain offering and the burnt offering of the people of the land and their grain offering and their drink offering. Sprinkle on the altar all the blood of the burnt offerings and sacrifices, but I will use the bronze altar for seeking guidance. And Uriah the priest did just as King Ahaz had ordered. Later on in that passage, we also see that he starts to disassemble parts of the temple in order to make this work. Basically what King Ahaz had done is he went to another kingdom in Damascus and he saw, man, this altar is so cool. And he had the exact same altar built. And Uriah the priest, who should have known better, acquiesced, just like Aaron did. He agreed. He's like, sure, I'll go ahead and help you build that. And he builds this altar. Um, you're, uh, sorry, uh, King Ahaz also moves God's altar so that they're next to one another. And so often we can put things on the same level as God. We can justify, well, God's here too, so I can have this other thing. And we elevate things. And it's a failure on Uriah the priest to not call out King Ahaz. We see the complete opposite of this. When Nathan calls out King David, King David had an affair with a woman named Bathsheba. He committed adultery because she was married and he basically had her husband killed in the line of, uh, in the line of duty during a war and, um, so that he wouldn't feel as guilty for sleeping with this man's wife. And Nathan calls 
out David. David, the man after God's own heart, the man who wrote like half the Psalms and to a huge part of the Old Testament is dedicated. He was an amazing man. He was a godly man, but he messed up and Nathan called him out on it. In this story in 2 Kings, King Ahaz messes up and Uriah the priest enables it. And that's a huge deal. See, one time I had a brother call me out in sin. He said, bro, you are so negative and judgmental. And I said, no, I'm not. You're judgmental. I didn't take it well. I got angry. I got frustrated. Because it was true. I knew it was true. I was judgmental. I was cynical. I was angry. I was frustrated. And it came down to the fact that my relationship with God was not in a great place. And I had a brother in Christ call me out on it. That was necessary. I needed that. I need people in my life to call me out and call me higher. Just as all of us do. All of us need that so much. Yet, when we elevate something, just like King Ahaz did, to the point that you can no longer criticize it. When you can no longer find fault, that is sinful. That is idolatry. Um, I don't know if you guys remember back when you had your first crush, like real crush, not just like, oh yeah, I think this person's cute kind of crush in elementary school, like real crush where you're like, man, this person's amazing. And it happened to me when I was a sophomore in high school. Uh, her name was Alyssa. And um, she was gorgeous. Guess what else I knew about her? She was gorgeous. That's about it. I was a sophomore in high school, typical kind of boy kind of think, right? She's pretty. That's all that matters. And I idolized her. I thought she was the most amazing person on the planet. Everything she did was amazing. Uh, everything was awesome, even though she wasn't that awesome, right? And, and it's so important for us to recognize and realize that oftentimes when we idolize something, it's hard for us to find fault in it. We've done this so often. We need to call out sin in our brothers and sisters. We can't just say, well, you're a good person. You've done a lot of really good things. There's this sin, but I'm not going to call it out because I don't want to. I'm too scared. If we're unwilling to call out sin and problems in each other and in our world, we are in sin. And there has been a growing movement in our world, in our country specifically, where people have come out and said, hey, I've experienced racism. I've experienced bigotry. I've experienced sexism. I've experienced these things, and not just once or twice, not just by a few people, but over and over and over again. If we fail to listen to those people, if we fail to empathize with those people, we're in sin. See, I remember talking to one of my friends um, who was black and talking to him about his experiences. This is back when I was in high school. And he talked about the racism he faced. He talked about the challenges he faced. And my basic reaction was, that sucks, but it's not that bad. I don't really see it. Right? Because I was coming from a place of privilege. I was coming from a place where I never experienced racism. So therefore, in my mind, racism didn't exist. It wasn't as bad as he said it was. Right? And if somebody comes to us and shares their stories shares their experiences, and we don't empathize, we don't help, we don't try to make better, 
Brothers and sisters, we're in sin. We are not acting as Jesus called us to act. Right? Nathan was willing to call out King David because it was the right thing to do. Uriah the priest was unwilling to call out King Ahaz because he was scared, because he had allegiance. And so often in America, we also elevate our country to be equivalent to godliness and Christianity. See, oftentimes being an American is also equivalent to being a Christian. We see this throughout. We are seen as a God-fearing nation. Every president, except for President Jefferson, the third president back in the 1700s, 1800s, um, claimed Christianity in one manner or another. Every single president has claimed Christ in one form or another, whether you agree with them or not. We are seen as a Christian nation, yet we have not always acted like it, just like every other nation. See, the story that I was told about how the country was formed and founded is very different than reality or how other people see it. I was told about a band of pilgrims who sailed across the ocean for religious freedom and they set up, you know, a colony where they worshiped God and then they met some, you know, Native Americans and uh, they learned how to plant corn and they had a big turkey dinner and, and everything was great. And then they, they decided to fight off the British and create their own country, you know, united under God, right? This idea of continuously going back to Christianity is like the, the thing, right? And so they formed the Declaration of Independence, a new country. It's going to be awesome. And it was. And then people moved across the United States westward, taking over land and helping uh, convert Native Americans to some form of Christianity. And then we're going to take their land, but we're going to make things awesome. We're going to grow this country. It's going to be a light in a dark world. And in some instances, that's very true. Our country is one of the most generous, amazing countries in the world. For so many reasons. Yet, if we look at the creation of our country from a different perspective, we see pain and racism and intolerance and sexism as well. Our country was formed, and in the Constitution, it was said that somebody who was black was worth three fifths of a person. They weren't counted as an entire person, but three fifths. You are a percentage of a person. You are less than human. Native Americans were massacred and driven from their native lands. Currently, right now, Asian Americans have faced a lot of racism and hate crimes because of the fact that COVID-19, the first outbreak, was in China. I have former students who have shared stories about hateful things that they have been called simply because they are of Asian descent. And COVID-19 started in that corner of the world. We live in a world that is imperfect. We live in a country that is imperfect. And if we ignore that fact, if we elevate our country to a form of perfection, we are in sin. Brothers and sisters, it is not a bad thing to love our country. I love the United States. I have been given a lot because I live here. You know, I swell with pride whenever you're at a sporting event and they have the national anthem. And at the end of the national anthem, right, land of the free, everybody cheers before the song's over. That's cool. That always brings me joy. It makes me well up with pride. We've had men and women fight and die for our country. 
And we have people that have become heroes. People have done amazing things for God and for people because of this nation. But there have also been failings. We need to recognize that. That's not a bad thing. That's not being unpatriotic. That's not being not kind or loving towards America. That is saying we can do better. And that is huge. And as Christians, we should understand this more than anybody else because we are all sinful. Every single one of us, which means if we inhabit a nation, that nation is also sinful. Every single nation has failings whether it's England or Nigeria or the Philippines or China, maybe not Canada, but every other nation. Every nation is sinful. Every nation has fallen short of the glory of God because they are inhabited by people who have all fallen short. And if we don't see failings, we create an idol. We build something up to be an idol. And it's important for us to remember and recognize that we are citizens and children's children's citizens and children. I'm an English teacher. Improper grammar makes me sad. Citizens and children of a greater nation, of a greater kingdom. And that is the kingdom of God. And that is where identity should come from. And now we move into point number three, which is citizens and children, not children's citizens and children. Point number three. You guys would go ahead and turn with me to Revelation 11.15. This is the New Living Version. It says, The seventh angel blew his horn. There were loud voices in heaven saying, The nations of this world have become the holy nation of our Lord and of his Christ. He will be the leader forever. See, in the end times, when we all join together as one, as a kingdom of God, Notice that it goes from the nations of this world, plural, to one nation. When we get up to heaven, we're not going to be collected by nationality. We're not going to have an American corner with an American flag with our faces painted red, white, and blue. There's not going to be a Filipino section. There's not going to be a Nigerian section or a Chinese or a Mexican or an English or a German section. We are united in Christ and Christ alone. Nationality in heaven is meaningless. The borders that we have constructed are meaningless in heaven. And if we truly want to have a kingdom identity, we need to have that perspective. Because how off-putting is it for some people if we claim that we're the best, yet we're still trying to bring them to, to God? But we're saying that our country, our nation, our people, our culture, whatever it is, is better than yours. That is sinful. Because what that does is it places our humanity above somebody else's. And if we're calling ourselves to be part of the kingdom of God here on this earth, our true allegiance is to the kingdom of God not to a country, not to a flag, not to a president, not to a political party, not to a state, not to a school or university or anything else. Our kingdom is heavenward, not earthly. And, and Paul knew this so well. Brothers and sisters, this is my probably my favorite or second favorite scripture in the entire Bible. Philippians 3. See, I so often can think to myself, 
that I have everything figured out. I can look at my life and I can say, hey, you know what? I got a lot going for me. And if somebody were approaching and say, hey, Matt, tell me about yourself. These are some of the things I might say. I'm an American. I'm a Californian. I'm a college graduate. Go UCR Highlanders. Let's go. Uh, I got my master's degree. I have my teaching credential. I'm a teacher. I'm an English teacher. I love literature and reading. I love teaching and helping others. I love movies and sports. I, I might start saying some of those things. My qualifications, my resume. I'm a small group leader. I help in this way and this way. Yet Paul had a different perspective. Paul in Philippians 3 talks about this. He says, starting in the middle of verse 4, he says, If anyone thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, and as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. He goes on and lists, he lists these qualifications. One of them is his nationality, being an Israelite, being a Hebrew, being the most Hebrew of Hebrews. He was everything that religious group and that cultural group could ever desire to be. He had it all. But he says in verse 7, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of of Christ. He says, all of those things in comparison to Christ are trash, are meaningless, are nothing. He continues on and says, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but what comes in faith through Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul loved his countrymen. He even mentions in one of his letters that he would be willing to die and suffer and give up his gift of going to the kingdom of God, of being heaven-focused, if all of his countrymen could do that instead. He loved his nation, but he also recognized that the most important thing was his allegiance to God, not to Israel, not to the religious figures of the time, but to God. And that's where we need to be as well. We need to be people that are focused on our relationship with God instead of our relationship with idols, with our country, with whatever causes us to stumble. It continues on later on in um, Philippians 3. Uh, we move into verse 20. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we, are e we eagerly, eagerly await a savior from there the Lord Jesus Christ. See, ultimately, church, we are part of one body. We are a family. Differences in nationality should not hold us back from being family. Differences in how we view the world, our politics, all of those things should be secondary to knowing Christ.
if our allegiance to these idols, whatever they may be, if our allegiance to our job, to money, to relationship, to our country, causes us to no longer consider the needs of others, if we care more about the idea of America than the citizens of America, than the people who live here, we are in sin. If we care more about our finances and our financial independence and taking care of ourselves and our family than taking care of others, we are in sin because we are united under something greater than borders, than the flag, than money, than a political party. We are united in Christ. And as Paul says, he counts everything as loss, as rubbish, as trash, as long as he can know Christ. And that's an amazing calling. That's something that God has set out for all of us to know Christ deeply, to know the sacrifices he has made, to know the fact that he died on a cross for each and every one of us. He had each and every one of us in in mind as he died because he wanted us to know him just as he knows us. I want to know Christ. That has been going through my mind over and over over the last seven months. And there are times where I have failed at that. There are times in which I have decided to put my focus in politics or social media or other things instead of knowing Christ. But church, we need to come to a place where we desire to know Christ. When we reflect on his sufferings, Paul talks about that as well in this passage, that he wants to know Christ and join him in the resurrection, join him in his death and resurrection. And I want to call us to that, to remember that promise, that desire when we got baptized, when we accepted Christ, to know him deeply, to put him first, to pledge our allegiance, not to anything of this world, but to pledge our allegiance to Christ. So as we move into our communion today, let us reflect on that idea. Let us reflect on where is our allegiance at? Where is our heart at? Is it with idols or is it in God? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you so much for your word. And just even as I've been studying this out over the last couple of weeks, thank you for the convictions. Thank you for um, cutting me to my heart as I have been struggling with some of these concepts and ideas and implementing them in my own life, Lord. Um, God, I just thank you for your word that allows us to get to know you, to know you just as Paul strived to know you. Lord, I just ask that you bless this time, that you bless um, this time of communion, that we can be united in you, that we can be united as a fellowship, as a church, not for something earthly, but heaven-bound. Focus on our allegiance to you, Lord. Help us continue to strive for that and look for that every single day. In Jesus' name, amen.